Hello and welcome to Powerful Possibilities, a guide to ADHD from diagnosis and beyond. I'm your host Catherine and I'm a certified ADHD coach with my own experience of a diagnosis of ADHD and autism in my 40s. My career is dedicated to helping people like you navigate the misunderstood areas of ADHD. So whether you're recently diagnosed, you think you might be ADHD, or you're looking to better understand your journey so far, this is your new go-to platform for your insights and transformative strategies. Grab your coffee, settle in, and let's unlock the potential that's just waiting for you. You're in the right place. Welcome back to Powerful Possibilities, the podcast if you are newly diagnosed with ADHD and long beyond. I'm Catherine Sanders, I'm an ADHD coach, and this time we're going to be answering the question, should I take ADHD medication and supplements? This week I wanted to look at ADHD medication and supplements, and obviously this is going to be a fairly quick gallop through the countryside, because these are big topics and each person is different. So Right up front, I'm going to clarify, I am a coach. I'm also somebody who takes ADHD medication, but I am not a doctor. I am not a psychiatrist, a psychologist or a nutritionist. None of this information should be used to make any decisions about your treatment. Always consult with a qualified professional who deals specifically with the topic that you are facing right now. So one of the first things that happens after you're diagnosed with ADHD is you have to decide, am I going to try medication or not? And oh, the eight years since I was diagnosed, nine years since I was diagnosed, I didn't use medication until last year. Most of the time, I thought I was doing fine. Hindsight is a wonderful thing and it's not the decision I would make now, but at the time it seemed like the right thing. So Looking back, I can see that I really struggled a lot with procrastination. I struggled a lot with focus and attention. My emotional regulation was not terrific. And a lot of the things that became exaggerated for me personally during perimenopause and menopause would have been addressed if I had chosen to try medication earlier. I didn't. We are where we are. And so It's something that I thought would be really useful for us to explore, especially if you are recently diagnosed and you're thinking, do I need it? I've coped this far, right? And this month, it's October 2023. And in the UK, not only is it ADHD Awareness Month, we are also facing one of the most serious medication shortages I've ever seen not just for ADHD medication and not just for one type of ADHD medication, but across the board and including things like HRT and diabetes medicine, everyone is telling me I can't find my medication. It's just not available. So it seems useful to include, along with our discussion about medication, what else you might want to look at. And again, we are going to come back to this in much more detail. 
What I would really love to know is if you are affected by the ADHD medication shortage, what are you going to do? And what have you been doing? Because the last thing I heard was that this could carry on until the new year. So January 2024 for certain types of medication. And the one that many people find most tolerable is out of patent in the United States, but in the UK, it's still controlled by the original manufacturer. This is going to cause a lot of problems. And I apologise in advance to anyone who meets me when I am not medicated and adjusting myself again. So let's talk about medication for ADHD. About 70 to 80% of people who try ADHD medication find it really, really helpful. And Dr. Russell Barkley, who many of us know and are very fond of, has said that for lots of us, it reduces our traits so that they're almost undetectable. I think that's probably true in a clinical setting. I'm not sure that's true in an experiential way, but I do know that for most people, they find medication incredibly helpful. That's 70 to 80% of people who have found the right medication and who have adjusted their dose. We're going to look at that in just a minute. And of course, that leaves 20 to 30% of people who do not find it useful and who are still struggling with some of their traits and some of the challenges that having a neurodevelopmental difference can bring to your daily life. Looking at medication, the two main kinds that are prescribed for ADHD are stimulant and non-stimulant. So the first is the most common one, and people call it Ritalin, Adderall, Elvance, Concerta, Zagatin. All of these types of medication are called stimulants because what they do is they increase the activity in the parts of our brain that are most affected by ADHD. The other kind of medication you might be offered is a non-stimulant medication and these take a bit longer to start working. They can take up to two weeks. You might be prescribed something like atomoxidine, guanfacine, even clonidine. These work on different neurotransmitters and they can have a slightly different action. So they work on things like noradrenaline. So how do these medications work? Basically, when you think back to what ADHD is, which is a neurodevelopmental difference, which means that the structure of your brain is measurably different. That means the connections, the number of connections, the thickness of certain areas, the speed that there are connections made, the number of, for example, transporter cells in certain areas of your brain. These are neurodevelopmental differences. And so it's a brain difference. And if you take any medication that affects your brain, of course, it's going to have an impact on how you experience ADHD. So the stimulant medication is going to build up the neurotransmitters and the ones that we think of most commonly are dopamine and norepinephrine. And these take away that feeling of resistance, the procrastination, they increase the amount of dopamine so that you're more at a typically developing level of dopamine and norepinephrine. What happens when you take them? Well, it's different for everyone. There was a meme on TikTok a while ago where people heard this kind of great big hubbub of sound and then it gradually faded out to leave things nice and quiet. 
I didn't experience that. And other people have said, I wondered if I was doing it wrong because I didn't feel that. What they do feel instead is an ability to pick out one voice, if you like. If you imagine, imagine you're in somewhere like John Lewis, you know, somewhere with lots of radios and you're trying to choose one radio and normally you're not able to pick out one particular track, one particular voice from all the ones. With ADHD medication, you can pick one and pay attention to it. And it's a bit like when you try to do a task and you want to get started and you can't get started and then you maybe just go and check your phone again or maybe go and grab something from the fridge. You're instinctively looking for that dopamine. Uh, that's what that action is doing. With the medication, because your dopamine level is higher, many people report they decide to get started on something and they just do it. So that advertising slogan, just do it, it could be applied to the effect many people have when they start taking a stimulant medication for ADHD. It means that that feeling of resistance, the procrastination, our habitual impulse to go and snack, to take a drink break, to go for a smoke, for a browse on the internet, that tends to shrink. And so lots of people find that they might lose weight, they might be able to stop smoking, other things that we do tend to get tuned out, and this is anecdotal, but it's certainly something lots of people experience. And it's not that that urge is gone completely, but we're able to tune into our longer term priority, which might be to get healthy and to stop snacking or to stop smoking. And with the medication, we're able to keep that long term view in mind. With young people, if they're in school or college, it might be that they're able to actually listen to the teacher for a bit longer. They're able to focus on the task in front of them and they're not acting in a way that increases their dopamine to get back on track. And to other people, that's going to look like they're distracted, they're acting up, they're playing up. In fact, what they're doing is looking for stimulation in a very difficult environment. So the stimulant medication is working on your dopamine, your norepinephrine. It's increasing the amount of both of those in circulation, which means you're going to have more attention. It's going to help you control your impulsive behaviour. And it is going to have some impact on executive dysfunction, but maybe not as much as we would like. And the different medications seem to have a different impact on different executive dysfunctions. The thing I would say is that it's very different for each person and what works fantastically for one person may make another person very anxious. So if the first medication you try isn't the right one or the dose isn't quite right, give it some time as long as the side effects aren't too bothersome and then you can come back and decide whether it's really effective or not. I've got lots of studies in the show notes and on my blog that show how effective it is and you know around 80% of children with ADHD find that their symptoms are massively reduced when they have the right medication and the right dose. The problem is of course we are facing supply issues for both long and short acting stimulant medication. What about non-stimulant medication because that one is something we don't know quite so much about in the public domain. Non-stimulant medication takes a bit longer to build up. You might be looking at two to three weeks. 
And after four weeks, you'll find that you are experiencing the full effect. These quite often have a little more effect on your emotional regulation and they can work for around 24 hours. Of course, they're not quite as effective in some areas as stimulant medication. You might find that people are prescribed them if there are side effects they can't cope with from stimulants and they might even pair it along with a stimulant to make it more effective. There aren't as many of the non-stimulant medications at the moment and they do tend to work on slightly different neurotransmitters. For example, atomoxetine is an SNRI, a selective noradrenaline reuptake inhibitor. It just means that's going to give you more noradrenaline in your brain without your brain removing it. So think about SSRIs like sertraline and Prozac. It's the same kind of mechanism, different neurotransmitter. Whether you're taking a stimulant or a non-stimulant, the basic function is it builds up the level of neurotransmitter and allows the messages to be carried from one part of your brain to the other. What if you've tried medication and it just doesn't work? You're one of the 20 to 30% of people who get no relief from medication or you're one of the other 70 to 80% who are currently unable to access their preferred prescription. Well, you're not alone. Everybody knows about Dr. Edward Halliwell. He wrote ADHD 2.0. He is widely credited as one of the most popular ADHD doctors in the States. He has his own centre with coaches and psychologists where lots of people take their kids. And he is very well known for inventing that description of having a Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes. He is a fantastic advocate for the ADHD community and he's one of the 20 to 30% of people who gets no relief from medication. Another person I can think of is Tracy Otsuka. She's just released her book um, and has a podcast. Both of them are called about AD both of them are called ADHD for smart ass women. And Tracy is one of the reasons I became an ADHD coach. She also gets no relief from medication. And so how do you manage if you don't get any relief from meds or you're unable to access them? Are there supplements that you can take? In future episodes, we'll look at other things that you can add to supplements, but let's focus on the supplements today. Again, I just want to reinforce the fact I am not a dietitian, a doctor, a psychologist, psychiatrist, a counsellor. I'm a coach and I'm a person with ADHD and a parent of someone with ADHD. I am also a massive geek and I love looking at research. So the studies that I looked at for the evidence around ADHD supplements, and again, I have to reference Dr. Barclay and his weekly summaries of ADHD research. He confirms this as well in one of his videos. The only one that shows some change, some measurable, reliable change in ADHD symptoms or traits is an omega-3 supplement, which is most commonly found in fish oil. Now, you would think the more of that, the better, right? Because fish oil or krill oil, or I think you can get one from plankton or there's some other vegan sources of it. The evidence is that if you have too much, it doesn't help as well or it can actually make things worse. 
And one of the studies I looked at was looking at children who were taking EPA, which is the active ingredient in omega-3. And they said, in contrast, we found children in the EPA group with little or no omega-3 deficiency had a worsening in some ADHD symptoms, especially impulsivity. This further suggests you can have too much of a good thing and that an adequate amount of omega-3 is needed for optimal results. So before you go out and start having huge doses of omega-3, look at your diet. That's always going to be the best place to get any of these things. And if you're somebody who eats oily fish two to three times a week, fantastic. You don't probably need a supplement. If you're like many of us in the neurodivergent community who struggles to eat oily fish or has a very limited diet, yes, give it a shot. But talk to your doctor first because supplements like these can affect other medications. They're not, you know, they're not sweets. You can't just have too many of them. Other people have said to me, what about this supplement? And what about that supplement? And there are lots. If you go on the internet, and most of you are listening to this from the internet, you will pretty soon find that your feed is full of adverts for apps, for supplements. I'm thinking of the fungus people, they're everywhere. What about these supplements? The answer is, there may be some evidence, but the data is incredibly limited. And I would never suggest that somebody try something without enough data, without enough evidence. Not just that, they can be really expensive. So I'm afraid there's no miracle supplement that I am happy to recommend as a substitute for medication. There are things that do help. And obviously the first one is your diet. If you are able to access really lovely fruit and vegetables and you're able to eat it, and I know lots of us have ARFID and other food challenges, then, you know, it's not going to be so simple. So find a really good quality vitamin and mineral supplement. Again, talk to your doctor or find a dietitian who can really help. Not least because some supplements have far too high amounts of B6, which can cause nerve damage. And some of them have too much iron, which can cause constipation and other problems. So don't go just getting massive doses of things. What else is effective if you can't take medication? I'm slightly reluctant to mention this, but exercise. <laughs> exercise is the most effective thing that you can do if you are struggling with ADHD symptoms right now. And I'm going to come back to exercise and give it its very own episode because it is so important. And there's literally nothing bad about exercise unless like one of my clients, you are using it to get dopamine and it's actually causing injuries because you're unmedicated. But exercise is going to be almost as effective in medication, at least for the short term after you've done the exercise. And we're going to have an episode all about that really soon. The next thing that's really effective, sleep. And I know I can hear you groaning. Sleep is really hard for us for lots of reasons. That's going to have its own episode. But sleep also reduces the experience of ADHD traits during the day. Again, community. Community is one of those really difficult things for us, especially with social skills, challenges, and forgetting to call people and all these other things, the crossover with autism and so on. But community and having a really accepting, supportive community around you 
can make a big difference to how we feel and how we experience some parts of ADHD, but it's not going to move the baseline levels of things that we can measure, like attention and focus and all the other really core ADHD traits. But if you feel better, I can almost guarantee they are going to move a bit. Don't forget, you're not going to be able to implement all of these all of the time. The important thing is to choose one that you can manage and then bring in other bits as you go. And if you're a person with ADHD and your medication is out of stock, let me know which one of them you're going to focus on first and let's discuss the medication shortage. You can get in touch with me here. You can just email through the website. You can drop a comment in my social media. I'm on Instagram and TikTok as ADHD underscore coach underscore Catherine. And let me know what works best for you. And of course, one of the things we need to consider when we're talking about ADHD medication is the worry about the abuse of medication and misuse. Now, I know that in the States, things are slightly different. In the UK, it's a controlled medicine. That means you must be over 16 to pick it up. And they generally prescribe only four weeks maximum at a time, which does limit somewhat the potential for abuse. That still means you need to be very careful about where you leave it, who you allow access to your area where you keep your medication. But one of the things I want to reassure people about is that there's this theory that if you start taking ADHD medication, it's going to make you more likely to abuse other substances. And you know, we need to be careful about what we see in a podcast. All of the evidence so far to date points to the use of ADHD medication in accordance with prescriptions and prescribed limits, the sensible responsible use of ADHD medication actually lowers the likelihood of a young person being addicted to alcohol, to other illegal drugs or substances that can do them much bigger harm. And so this is true across the board for young people. The really scary negative figures that you see about ADHD are for people who are untreated or under-supported and who are not being given the medication and the pills and skills, the extra support that they need. So if you're somebody who's concerned that it may lead you to a downward spiral towards other substances, please don't. Because generally, generally, there's always exceptions, it is more likely to reduce your attraction to other substances and the dangers that come along with accessing those from people who shouldn't be selling you things. So the controversy around ADHD medication and abuse is really one that doesn't occur in a, a country like the UK where it's heavily controlled and where people are educated about how it reduces our tendency to become addicted to other substances. So I hope that is reassuring. But the most important thing is that you make an informed decision, whether it's for yourself, for your child. Gather the information from your 
prescriber, whether that's a psychologist, a psychiatrist or a doctor, and think about what is the risk versus the benefit. So the pros and cons, short and long term. The short term effect of ADHD medication, you may experience some side effects and some of those are red flags that you want to look out for and discuss with your prescriber. It particularly things like a persistent anxiety or a persistent low mood. I'm guessing responsible prescribers will have checked your physical health, your blood pressure. So in the short term, you may have some side effects and some of them will require you to discontinue use and to try something else. The long-term implications, yes, there are some long-term implications, but they are in the context of being able to keep your job, to maintain friendships, to have a better self-image because you're able to choose a task and fulfil it. You are able to focus on a conversation and retain attention. So overall, do your own risk-benefit analysis and weigh up the pros and cons of medication. Secondly, talk to people who are already on medication. And again, remember, their experience is not going to be yours, but it's helpful sometimes to access the community support and the ADHD community is a very active and thankfully vocal one. What's been their experience? Do they have any advice? Is there something that they would do differently? And get second opinions from your psychologist, your GP, your psychiatrist. Not all of them are going to be as familiar with every kind of medication as you would like them to be, but still, they have some experience and it's worth assessing it. And finally, make sure whoever prescribes you medication is going to be actively monitoring and adjusting your dose because your response is going to be wildly different to somebody else's. And as I said before, there are things you need to be on the lookout for physically and mentally. Make sure you're getting three to six monthly checkups. And of course, if medication is going to run out, make sure that they are going to be able to offer you an alternative or advice on what you can do in place of it. So I really hope that looking at the stimulant and non-stimulant medication, the way it affects our dopamine, norepinephrine, and how these things all come together to make a difference in your daily life with ADHD has been helpful. Again, I want to emphasise, this is an individual decision and it's one that I hope this episode gives you more information to make because ultimately you're the only person who lives in your head. You're the only person who is experiencing the challenges of ADHD that you go through. And if you're the parent of a teenager with ADHD, please look at the actual studies that talk about the impact on social connections, on academic work and the self-image of your young person. If they are constantly failing socially and academically, their mental health is going to suffer. There's no way around that. But again, you are their parent. So make sure you access all of the information available and discuss it with others. Ultimately, it's your choice and it comes down to what you need.
So if this has been a helpful episode for you, I would be delighted if you could share it with other people who are discussing ADHD medication, whether to medicate, whether to try supplements. And of course, you can contact me here or on my socials at ADHD underscore coach underscore Catherine or through my website at lightbulbadhd.com. Thank you for listening. And next time on Powerful Possibilities, we are going to be looking at why am I so bad at adulting? And I know many of you will be rolling your eyes at the use of adult as a verb, but it's now <laughs> very normal for us. Um, so why do so many ADHD adults feel that they are just not winning at being grown-ups? Why are we still struggling with time management, organisation, emotional regulation? And what can we do about it? So until next time, thank you again for listening, ADHD Coach Catherine, and I would love to hear your experience of medication and please share this with anyone else who would find it useful. Thank you for joining us today on Powerful Possibilities, Navigating ADHD from New Diagnosis and Beyond. We're all about equipping you with the tools and insights that you need to thrive. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and share it with someone else you know who might benefit or who you want to understand you better. Remember, your journey with ADHD is an ongoing journey of growth, but you're not alone anymore. Until next time, this is Catherine, reminding you that with the right guidance, the possibilities really are powerful and endless. Take care.